This podcast is brought to you by and by Neutralite, exclusively from Amway. This novel new brand is an experiential wellness line created to empower your mind and enrich your body to help you be more you. Because you are unstoppable, and end products will help you meet your goals every day. Because with N by Neutralite, you got this. Follow us on Instagram at Neutralite US. It's inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports, the college football podcast that gives fans the inside scoop on who's moving up, who's moving down, and what's happening with all the big news of the week. Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg will take you through this week's poll, interview coaches, and break down the sport like nobody else. Starting now. Welcome back to another edition of the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast. I'm Dan Wolken, joined by Paul Meyerberg. Later in the show, talking to a couple longtime sports writers who've covered college football for many years, Bill Rabinowitz from the Columbus Dispatch, checking on the issues going on with Ohio State right now, and Kirk Bowles from the Austin American Statesman. Things are getting serious at Texas with their displeasure with Tom Herman. So uh, we'll see what his take is on what Texas's options are here. But, uh, Paul, let's uh, start with this poll from this week and we obviously have a lot to talk about on the field and off the field but let's begin with Alabama the number one team in the country they are a dominant first place team we have talked about it for many weeks cannot be any more impressed with what's going on with Alabama the Iron Bowl was the biggest joke of a game I've seen in this series in in quite some time at no point in this game did it ever look like Auburn had a chance to win And I guess that's not terribly surprising because one is a very good team and one is just kind of a little better than, than average. But I will say this, that was a big moment for Steve Sarkeesian because Sark has been kind of working his way back into the mix ever since he got fired at USC. There were a lot of issues under his watch at USC. He obviously had the very public, a problem with alcohol that he went and took care of. He got himself sober. He's gone back to work. Uh, he was in the NFL for a while. I love what they're doing with their offense. Am I crazier? Does this game give him a chance to land a big time head coaching job? No, I think you're right. I think he's rehabilitated his reputation enough to the point where schools will, will do their diligence on it. And I think that's a good, that's a lot of progress compared to where he started from a couple of years back. I mean, I think a lot of people thought after SC that, you know, you never get another shot. And, you know, I, I don't know if a lot of people would argued against it just because of the, of the nature of how things fell apart, but um, doing what he did in the iron bowl, replacing a Nick Saban, I think, I thought they were very conservative or at least compared relative to how they played recently, but that was expected for, for Sark stepping into that role. Um, but look, he, he, he took the number one team, in an iron bowl against a team that had beat him a year ago. And uh, they dominated, like you said, at no point did you ever think Alabama was in danger. So interesting candidate, you know, for, I don't know what level of job, but if you believe that he's able to run a program and, and, you know, stay out of, I want to say stay out of trouble because everyone has their demons, but, and, and, and keep his, you know, relationship with players and administration on, on a solid level, then, Certainly as a football coach, he's achieved enough to get that responsibility back. Yeah, there was a time in February where I thought Sark was going to be the next coach at Colorado. I thought he was right there. Uh, I thought he was going to take it. And then all of a sudden, it it went a different direction. But I think if you're South Carolina, and and there's a lot of people talking about different names, they're talking about Hugh Freeze, they're talking about Billy Napier. I really think Sark deserves a long look for that job. And The one thing about Sark, when he was at Washington, when he was at USC, they always had very good players. Yeah, I think he he knows how to recruit, and I think his system system works. And I think the maturity that he's been able to achieve the last few years will serve him well at his next stop. And and I think he's a good dude, and I I hope they are able to – I hope someone's able to get past whatever reservations they have and and give him a shot. So – Number two is he is a good guy and yeah, really good guy. No, I mean, he's a good guy. And, and I, like, we don't want to, you know, everyone makes mistakes in this profession. You lose games, you, you grow up and you mature. And I would hate to think that um, his, 
missteps would, would prevent him from getting another shot, like you said, because he is a good guy. And, and obviously, situations out of your control, I don't think can be held against you. Jeez, six years later, that's how long it's been. That's wild. It's been six years since SC. <laughs> it has. It has. Uh, all right. Number two is Notre Dame. Uh, another one of these games where people thought that maybe it was a trap at North Carolina. It really wasn't that much of a trap. Ian book had another really good game, 279 passing yards. Notre Dame wins by two touchdowns, 31, 17 going away in uh, the second half, shutting out North Carolina in the second half. Notre Dame is nine and zero, And I will say, I think <sighs> I don't want to be too definitive because it's college football and anything can happen, but I will congratulate Notre Dame on being the first team to lock up a college football playoff spot. So even if they lose to Clemson, they're in. I think they're in. in your mind. Yes. Why, why would they yeah, not be in? Why would they not disagree. be in? Uh, no, they, they've got the resume. Um, obviously, you know, circumstances. If they lose 63 to nothing, you may give someone pause, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. I thought what was impressive about that win was a 14, 14 after the first quarter. And and honestly, wasn't nervous for Notre Dame, but I was a little concerned because UNC throughout the season has shown that when you can get an opponent to, to get in a shootout and play at their tempo, they're dangerous because they'd like to run. Um, So what Notre Dame did starting the second quarter and, and really specifically in the second half, I thought was really impressive being able to, slow the tempo and make UNC play at their pace. So they've got a really good defense that's underrated. Ian Book's playing well. So, look, I don't know what's going to happen. They might have a 2012 moment or a Cotton Bowl moment when they get to the playoff, but you can't argue against Notre Dame having earned that opportunity or at least having earned, um, you know, a respectable shot against any team they face in, in January because I think they are pretty pretty damn good. Well, and I, I must ask you, uh, after the game, Brian Kelly – uh, went off on, not by name, but uh, a college football writer for USA Today who left Ian Book out of the top 10 in his quarterback rankings. And that reporter was you. Your response to Brian Kelly. <laughs> well, look, like, A, that stuff doesn't bother anyone. Um, but media people will advocate for coaches to be fired all the time. Um, like hot seat lists and all that stuff. So turnabout is certainly fair play. I don't think Ian Book's a top 10 quarterback in the country. I mean, he's not in the top 35 nationally in any of the very simple metrics we use to define quarterback play, completion percentage, yards per attempt, yards per game, touchdown, touchdown rate, anything. So he's a fantastic college QB. He should never buy a beer again in South Bend. And it's not disrespectful to say that there might be 10 quarterbacks who are better than him in college football. There are 127 starters after all in the country. I agree with you all heartily. I, I would not put him in the top 10 either. He's having a good year. He's a big part of what they're doing. But uh, I think Brian Kelly is uh, playing the uh, fire up the team game at uh, the media's expense. And that's just kind of the way it goes. All right. Number three, Clemson, Trevor Lawrence returns from the COVID. I will, I, I will say this. The reason Brian Kelly, the reason Brian Kelly didn't say my name is because Brian Kelly doesn't have a clue who I am. I mean, he doesn't have a clue who I am. I've met him once before in my life. So he wouldn't have a clue. I mean, it's not like he wasn't, he was being polite. He doesn't have an, an idea in the world who I am. So um, I did appreciate the clicks. I think that the story did well, did better Saturday and Sunday for sure. <laughs> I'll leave it there. All right. Uh, Clemson beats Pitt 52 to 17. Uh, Trevor Lawrence off the COVID list is uh, very good. 403 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. They were able to get DJ Uyunglele some playing time. Uh, as well, because it was pretty lopsided at the end. Uh, Clemson rolls on. They are going to do their thing where they peak late in the year. And that was a good game off off uh, off the shelf a little bit. They they had not played in three weeks, and, and rust was no problem. All right, let's talk about Ohio State. We'll get into this more in depth with uh, Bill Rabinowitz. But they're number four. Their game against Illinois was canceled uh, at the last minute because of positive COVID tests, including to head coach Ryan day. Uh, They are now two games below where they were at the start of the season. If they do not play Michigan state or Michigan in these last two weeks, they will be ineligible for the big 10 championship game. I think there's got to be a lot of doubt cast on whether they're actually going to play next week, just kind of given the big 10's quarantine rules and 
number of players available and all that stuff. But we're going to get into a big debate here coming up about Ohio State. You know, if they're 6-0, and 7-0, and and don't have a great win, don't have a Big Ten championship, uh, their best win is, is, is Indiana, and Indiana's a good team. But that was also a fairly close game. Like, the committee's going to have to give Ohio State some room, some, some leeway to put them in if, if things keep trending this direction. I think they'll do it, but I think Ohio State's going to be pretty nervous. Yeah, I think they get in. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, and I've spoken to a number of former committee members the last couple of weeks, and they've all said, I mean, just to boil it down, it's going to come down to eyeball test across the board. There's no points of comparison typically used to make this argument. And Ohio State, regardless of who their competition is, I mean, they, they leap off the screen. They, they ace the eyeball test. So I think what makes me nervous about Ohio State is I don't know if you can get inside the top three based on the schedule. I don't know if you can really have an argument for being inside the top three if you're only six and zero or even seven and zero when everyone else has played you know at least nine, ten, maybe eleven games. So obviously that sets up a situation where you play Alabama, you don't play Notre Dame, or you don't you know no one wants to play Clemson, but. I don't, wouldn't want to play Alabama in the first round. I don't think Ohio State's the fourth best team in the country, but I don't know if they're going to have an opportunity to move ahead of that spot in the playoff ranking. Yeah, I don't think uh, anybody would want to play Ohio State. If you're Alabama, I don't think you love the idea of matching up with Ohio State in the semifinals. On the other hand, I don't think there's a weak link in that top four either. I don't, I don't know that there's an easy game. I mean, some people would say Notre Dame, but – as I said during uh, the game the other day, I think this is a much better Notre Dame team than, than two years ago when they made the playoffs. So I think if you get to the playoff, there, there's, there's not a, a gimme in, in any of these. And um, if Ohio State gets in at number four because of the number of games they've played, so, so be it. Let's uh, move on to Texas yeah. A&M. Well, I do think it would oh. be disappointing if, if, Ohio State, if Ohio State doesn't get in to – into the top four, I think that would be because of not enough games played. I think that would be enormously disappointing, not just for the Buckeyes, just for college football. I mean, they were so obviously a poor team in the country, and it would be a shame, um, like a, a subplot to COVID, it would be a shame if, if they didn't get in because they played too few games. That's all. Number five, Texas A&M, they are sitting there waiting in the wings trying to see if one of these top four is going to stumble. They came back off a couple week layoff. They beat LSU 20 to seven. Uh, A&M had control the whole time. It was a very good defensive performance, but I will say that, that their offense leaves a lot to be desired. And it certainly did in this game. The conditions were not good. It was raining and all that stuff, but Kellamond 11 of 34, 105 passing yards. It's, it's laborious to watch them on offense. And obviously Isaiah Spiller's a really good player. They run a lot through him, but if A&M, if, if they can't pass the ball against a team that has been giving up hundreds upon hundreds of passing yards to literally everybody in the sec, I don't think that helped A&M from an eye test standpoint. No, this was like a, a real, bucket of cold water. Well, look, the positive is you lost by 43 points last year and you kind of suffocated LSU and you, and you win by 13. So congrats. It's a, it's a indicative of the, of the places these two programs have gone in the last eight months, but this felt a lot like Jimbo's first year, even last year when you've seen a lot of growth on offense and a lot of balance. So really disappointing, um, worrisome, but again, like LSU's had a break. Maybe they needed a break to catch up with what Bo Pelini was doing on defense. If so, then maybe LSU makes things interesting for those two teams, Alabama, Florida, down the stretch. Um, and this is a one-off for a and I don't know. But, yeah, certainly looking forward, you don't want to see this happen twice. If it does, and you've got to be a team that impresses the committee by the quality of your play because you won't win the your own division, let alone the SEC, uh, certainly worrisome. And I thought Kellen Mond, uh, this was bad. This was a really bad performance by him and, and, and not – up to the standard he's set. And an otherwise, I thought, pretty good senior season. He's played much better than, than he has in the past. Well, I'll ask you this. You've been banging the drum all along that A&M should be ranked ahead of Florida because they beat Florida head-to-head. 
And we finally, the last few weeks, gotten the polls and the selection committee in alignment on that. And it's, it's what we are dealing with right now. But you watch that game, you see Florida earlier in the day, they just manhandled Kentucky 34 to 10. If those two teams were to play again, who would you pick? Pick Florida. I mean, you would, right? Wouldn't I would. You? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, but look, they played A&M one, got to give them the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, yeah, Florida's good. Florida's good. Texas A&M had a bad Saturday. Florida's really good, but yeah, no do-overs, no reset button. So Aggies have the edge. That's just the way it is. Uh, the number seven, eight, and nine teams did not play this week. Cincinnati, they had a game canceled. BYU, nobody on the schedule. Miami, they're dealing with COVID issues. Number 10 is Georgia. They basically manhandled a lifeless South Carolina program, 45-16 South Carolina. They've gone backwards, frankly, since Will Muschamp got fired. Most of that is due to roster attrition. Guys have just been bailing left and right, which I think is a good reason not to fire the coach in midseason at this point in the proceedings, but uh, they went ahead and did it anyway. It's going to be limping to the finish line. Georgia looked pretty good, but who, I don't know what, what we can gain from that. Uh, Indiana at number 11, they beat Maryland 27 to 11. The interesting thing for Indiana is because of this issue at Ohio state, again, if they miss one more game, Indiana is going to be playing for a big 10 title. I mean, just step back and think about that for a second. Yeah, um, Indiana Northwestern for the Big Ten Championship. That's 2020. Welcome. Um, yeah, that, that would be a great achievement for Indiana to kind of backdoor into the Big Ten Championship game. Um, but uh, they did not play that great against Indiana. Michael Panix Jr., uh, lower body injury. I'm not sure of his status going forward, but um, even before that, he the, the passing game was off. They just kind of smothered Maryland to win that game. Number 12 this week is Iowa State. And they have locked themselves in basically to the Big 12 championship game with a 23-20 win at Texas. Uh, they are 7-2 and two on the year. Uh, they're not going to make the playoff. You know, if they had won that season opener against uh, Louisiana Lafayette, I think we might be having a different conversation about Iowa State's possibilities. I think you can maybe look back as well and sort of scratch your head about the fact that they, they lost Oklahoma State. But uh, uh, they're – Creeping toward the top 10, it looks like they're going to have a second shot at Oklahoma, who they beat uh, early October for the Big 12 title. And Matt Campbell is the name you're going to be hearing because Texas is moving toward making some changes, we think. Certainly the Jim Harbaugh experience at Michigan is petering out. I don't know how Michigan can go forward with him based on losing again this week to Penn State. Uh, Matt Campbell, he is a, a big uh, culture guy. We'll talk a little bit about this with, with Kirk. Do you think Matt Campbell's a slam dunk to be successful at, at a bigger program? No, I, don't, I mean, no, because who is, right? Meyer, Pete Carroll. I mean, who's a slam dunk anywhere? Um, when you talk about it being a culture guy, I mean – if you go to a place with a broken culture, will you be given enough time to reverse it? I don't know. All I know is that I'd hire Matt Campbell. I wouldn't think twice about it. I would give him a check and I'd say, what's your number? Um, because he's proven at Iowa state and to a lesser degree at Toledo, that when you don't have the Jimmy's and the Joe's, you can still scheme, even build a culture that allows you to overcome a talent disadvantage. So the question then becomes, what would he do when he has five stars? It's usually not that simple. Sometimes when you have five stars, the culture that you want to build is tougher to build. So I don't know about that. All I know is, like I said, and we've said together for a couple of weeks, um, you don't need a $50,000 search firm or geez, a $150,000 search firm to, to figure this out. Just Google Matt Campbell and go to his Wikipedia page and you see a guy who will be successful, you know? So what he's doing at Iowa state is fantastic because you don't get to say this very often. Iowa state is on the verge of the greatest season in program history, program history. They've been playing football for a hundred plus years. So that's a hell of an achievement for him and, and for the players. Yeah. And, and what's awesome about it is when he took that job, I remember a lot of people in the profession were saying, well, why would you go to Iowa state? Toledo, 
if he has another good year there, he's going to have way more options. He's could potentially get a big 10 job, you know, get, get the Purdue job or the Illinois job or whatever it is. Why go to Iowa state? And yet now you see why, because he felt like he could win there. He felt like it was a fit. It's been a fit. He's done the job and, and they're good. They're good year in and year out. And now, the possibilities for, for him, he can write his own ticket, whether that's in college, the NFL, or staying at Iowa State. And I think that's, that's a cool thing to see that, that he believed in, in what he could do there and, and has gotten it done. Oklahoma, number 13, they were off. Marshall, number 14, they were off as well. Coastal Carolina, they were able to beat Texas State 49-14. They roll on toward a uh, season finale with Liberty that's going to be a fascinating game. USC, unfortunately, they were not able to play due to COVID. Number 17, Northwestern. In one of the most, I think, awful losses of the year. And it's Northwestern. I don't want to hold them to an Alabama standard. But I will hold them to the standard of the way they've played most of this year. And they were terrible against Michigan state. They got down 17, nothing early. They came back. They had multiple chances to go win that game. And then they end up losing 29, 20. It was a little closer than that. Uh, they, they needed a late field goal. They had a couple chances to get it. Uh, but the drive just, uh, it didn't, didn't go anywhere. And uh, Michigan state got kind of a late, uh, a late touchdown uh, on the cheat, but Big blown opportunity for Northwestern. They may still make the Big Ten title game, but uh, we thought, you and I, thought they were just going to roll in undefeated to the Big Ten championship and have a shot to make the playoff. But we didn't account for the fact that um, they're Northwestern, and it's just it's just too hard for them to score. And that's what we saw in this game. Yeah, they, they came out a little bit flat, which is not what you expect from, from Pat Fitzgerald coach teams. Usually they come out with a higher degree of energy. Um, you saw about Northwestern what we always knew. They, they can't play from a 17 nothing hole. They got to play from ahead. They, it's got to be close going into the second half, third quarter. Otherwise, they get outside of their comfort zone. But again, like they did come back. They tied it at 20. They had their shots. It's not a perfect team. It's a flawed team as always, but um, they're going to win the West. I mean, mathematically, it's hard to imagine they don't. So uh, a, a terrible loss, but, uh, you know, Michigan State's a weird team. They have two upsets and then a bunch of terrible losses. So they're hard to predict, just like Northwestern. Number 18, Oklahoma State, they were able to beat Texas Tech in an old Big 12-style shootout, 50-44. to 44. Wisconsin, number 19, they uh, didn't play. They had a game against Minnesota that was canceled I believe due to issues in Minnesota, Oregon, number 20, they lose to Oregon state in uh, a game that was terribly officiated. Uh, It looked like Oregon state was going to get screwed at the end, but they were able to win. And I felt like it was a deserving win 41 38. I don't want to be too harsh on Oregon because they more than any other team in the PAC 12 had key opt outs that, that limited their ceiling. Uh, I think if, if they had a full roster, they, they would not, have lost that game. They would maybe not lose any game in the PAC 12 this year. It is what it is. I will say for, for Jonathan Smith at Oregon state, um, I think this has been a good season uh, so far. They're two and two. I think he's turned around their, their culture. Uh, They, they came close to beating Washington. They did beat Cal. I think sneakily that's been an impressive turnaround job out there at a program that looked pretty hopeless last season. Yeah, he's a he's a, a smart kind of erudite, um, um, analytical kind of guy. Um, he's also like there's a picture of him inside their football facility that's like 15 feet tall because he was the hero of that team that went to the Fiesta Bowl. So he has a connection to the program and, and an investment that I don't think you see at a lot of other places with coaches. Um, but look, you cut your teeth under Chris Peterson. Um, you get a chance at your alma mater. You, you feel like you have something that you can do a little bit differently and, and you're seeing it pay off. What I think is really interesting with Smith is um, I don't think they took any shortcuts. You know, I think they really bottomed out year one, um, but he slowly and steadily developed them into a, a clearly a bowl team. Um, and it'll be really interesting, you know, 2021, 2022, when teams are at full strength, 
to see this civil war take off because it's, you know, it's been what, since the late two thousands, really, since um, the civil war really meant something in terms of both teams being evenly matched. So great win for, for the, for the Beavers um, and something they can build on and, and validation for Smith. I think he's a good football coach and, and a smart guy. Well, you mentioned cutting your teeth on a Chris Peterson coaching staff. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Washington. They're in the poll at number 23 this week, and they came from behind to beat Utah 24-21. They are the team that maybe has a shot to do something in the Pac-12, although it's going to be difficult. I mean, there's just not going to be enough opportunities, not going to be a lot of games. Uh, maybe they can figure something out, although they're, they're not really going to have time if, if they – have one of the get one of their last two games canceled. Maybe they go out and schedule a BYU, but at the end of the day, um, I don't think they're going to make the playoff. But what are we learning in watching Washington about what they're going to be like under Jimmy Lake? Yeah, I, I think you're seeing um, offensively. Um, I don't. I don't know if we're at the point you can truly get a grasp on what Jimmy Lake wants the scheme to be. But certainly, you're seeing signs that they're going to be a little bit. I don't know, more explosive. I wouldn't say that. Maybe a little more up-tempo, a little faster. Um, and, and more than anything, Jimmy Lake, has, as a coach, has been someone that a lot of people have identified for years as being ready for this opportunity. And I think it speaks to him being prepared, being a guy who, who really learned from Peterson, who was obviously a fantastic, legendary coach, and that you're down 21 nothing at the half. And you've been – look, we watched that game. He was – they were dramatically outplayed and I thought they had no shot at coming back and to rally in the second half, um, to stay focused, to not be worried or, or be wary of what Dylan Morris was doing. Cause he threw two picks. Um, I think that speaks to his confidence and, and the confidence of that program and that they're listening to him as, as the voice of the, of the team. So that's a step forward for Washington. Like you said, they're not going to finish in the top 10 or anything like that, but you know, after a bit of a downturn and maybe a little bit of a, a from an outside perspective of uh, missed expectations the last few years coming off that playoff berth, um, I think that's a good positive. Washington to come and come back against the Utah was up by three scores. So that's my takeaway from Saturday. Um, and Dylan Morris as a QB is pretty good. I think we should keep an eye on him moving forward in 2021. Number 24, Iowa, they beat Nebraska 26-20. Uh, the misery continues for the Cornhuskers. And number 25 is Liberty. Um, just wanted to mention real quick, Auburn drops out. They are in the others receiving votes category, number 26. Uh, just do you think that the way that Auburn played against Alabama, the fact it wasn't really competitive at all, do you sense that might move the needle a little bit on, on Gus Malzahn, who I, I thought going into the game was, was relatively safe uh, just given everything that's, that's gone on this season? No, I mean, he, I is he think, ever safe? I, think, I don't think it's going to change it. Yeah. I mean, it's just the same as always. Hey, look, like we don't want to spend too much time talking about Auburn because they're not a factor right now, but it's really, it's really telling, right? Like, in less than a decade, shoot, I mean, less than maybe half a decade, um, Alabama has taken what Auburn did well against them, which was create mismatches, go fast, make you uncomfortable, and just taken it away. And they've stolen that advantage. And not only have they taken it, they're doing it Auburn ever did in this series. And if you're an Auburn fan and you're an Auburn supporter, you're looking at that matchup and thinking, okay, we don't have the same talent and now we don't have the same scheme and we don't really do anything better than Alabama does. What are we doing in this rival and where are we going in this rivalry and what reason do we have at all to think that 2021 will be different? Yeah, I think that's a very good argument to make. I just sort of wonder whether the institutional will to make a change under these circumstances in a pandemic with a coach who's beaten Nick Saban three times, which – nobody other than Les Miles has done, whether that that's critical mass is, is going to be reached. It, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. All right. That's the Amway coaches poll for this week. Uh, let's talk next to Bill Rabinowitz, Bill Rabinowitz of the Columbus dispatch about the predicament Ohio state finds itself in right now. Inside the Amway coaches poll from USA today, sports. Big time coaches feel big time stress. 
And by Neutralite, less stress, more yes, great tasting mango lemon gummies help you find your zen. Made with L-theanine, a natural amino acid known to help reduce occasional stress, and lemon balm, used traditionally as a calming botanical. You can feel free from all the nasties, like artificial flavors, sweeteners, and colors, plus it's vegetarian friendly. So when you prepare for the big game, feel less stress with n by Neutralite, less stress, more yes gummies. And stay tuned after the podcast to learn about stress and how to manage it with stress authority and clinical investigator Dr. Jennifer Chang, Ph.D., These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now, back to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll with Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg. Welcoming in this week's edition of the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast is Bill Rabinowitz from the Columbus Dispatch, longtime beat writer for the Ohio State Buckeyes program. And, Bill, uh, it has been just an odd season for the media. And one of those things, as we talked about before we started recording happened to you where you anticipate there's going to be a game. Uh, The Buckeyes are supposed to play at Illinois. You do what you're supposed to do as a reporter. You get in the car and go down to Champaign. And then all of a sudden the game is uh, getting canceled. I'm sure not that we are the center of the universe in this deal, but it's, it's frustrating for the media. It's frustrating for the players, but I imagine just the fact that uh, you have gone to all that effort only to come up empty, maybe gives you a little, a little bit of empathy for just kind of what the players and and the coaches are going through right now. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. I mean, I kind of went thinking the game would not be played, but you know, but you have to go. I mean, if in case it is, um, and then when we, you know, I'm driving there and we find out, okay, they're not going to, they're not going to fly tonight, uh, meaning Friday night, they're going to fly Saturday morning. I'm thinking, well, how logistically you're going to do that. I mean, if we're at, uh, 11 a.m. local time start, I'm thinking that doesn't sound, you know, they, they must've gotten tests back and they're trying to figure out, can they possibly do this? And that, that is what was happening. Um, you know, nobody at Ohio State was commenting because they were swamped with trying to figure out what to do. And, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, is it a fun weekend to drive four and a half hours to Champaign and back for no game? No, but, you know, look, people have it a lot worse than that. Sure. The weather was fine. You know, I wasn't driving through a snowstorm. It was just, you know, and I ended up writing something from there because Ohio State did do a Zoom call yesterday right before I checked out of the hotel. So I was able to, to at least do something productive there. Uh, but, it, yeah, this is a crazy season. And, you know, I, you know, my family's got its health and and, you know, still employed. And so I try to keep things in perspective and, and uh, you know, just kind of go day by day, like everyone else. Bill, what's it been like inside the building? I mean, inside the football offices, inside the facility, does it feel like when you go in on a Monday, Tuesday, that there is some normalcy or does it always feel like, what are we hearing today? What's happening today? And, and it's hard to get into a routine rhythm as you, as you cover the team. Well, I've got a simple answer. I, I would know they have not let us in the Woody all year. I have not been inside the Woody, uh, the Woody Hayes Athletic Center since I would assume signing day or something. I mean, well, what would it have been? Sometime in probably February or maybe March, I guess, maybe the first couple of days of spring practice. Uh, yeah, everything's been done remotely. Ohio State's done a pretty good job, actually, of, of making coaches and players accessible, but everything is on Zoom. Bill, we're now in a situation where if Ohio State can't play the game next week, uh, then they will fall below the threshold that the Big Ten set out at the beginning of the season for participation in the Big Ten championship game. How much, um, I don't want to say panic is the right word, but how much concern do you sense around the program and around the fan base about what that might mean for a team that from everything we've seen so far would stack up very well and would have a good shot to win a national championship. Yeah. I think the, the big 10 not being able to play in the big 10 championship game would be disappointing, but it would be nothing compared to not getting into the college football playoff. Uh, and, you know, I think Ohio State can do it, can, can not play in the big 10 championship game and still make the, the playoff because that's, you know, this is going to be an eye test year for the committee. Yeah. I, they always say there are all these criteria, all that stuff. It comes down to the eye test. It always has. And, and I think, you know, like Northwestern losing yesterday, that takes them out of the equation. The Big 12 is basically out of it. The Pac-12 is basically out of it. So you've got, you know, a few teams 
that are jockeying for position. Obviously, Alabama looks good. Notre Dame looks good. You know, Clemson right now looks good. Uh, and you got Ohio State. Now, does, does a Florida, does a does Texas A&M, does a Cincinnati make its way into the mix? You know, absolutely, it could. If Ohio State plays four games, I don't think they're getting in the playoff. Um, but if they can play, you know, six and, or maybe seven, and one of them is maybe against Wisconsin, if, um, if it's not Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game, then, you know, I think they've got a reasonable shot. But, you know, you got to get there. I mean, it, it's going to be tricky to play Michigan State this week. And who knows? I mean, I'm not in the prediction game in terms of trying to predict COVID because nobody, nobody's accurate with that. And I'm just kind of going day by day. But, yeah, it's the season – I've always thought the biggest threat to Ohio State season was COVID because you look at their schedule and it's terrible. I mean, it's like historically awful. There's no way they can lose to most of these teams. So the only thing that can stop them is this virus. And, well, it, it at least paused them. Yeah, COVID's still unbeaten, unfortunately. Um, if Ohio State's 7-0, and I mean, they're, they may be the number one seed if they play seven games. So that's a no-brainer. But as you see a team that has played five, I mean, it, just based on what you've seen through four, I mean, is this match up with expectations for you as being a team capable of being number one of winning a national championship that they lived up to your prediction or your prognostications? In some ways, I think their passing passing game is as good as I've ever seen. Honestly, Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, that's a pretty unstoppable combination. The protection's been generally very good. Uh, the run game showed, you know, a lot of signs of life finally, um, or at least it showed signs of life before, but it looked like the Ohio State run game that we've kind of grown accustomed to against Indiana. And the defense is still a little bit shaky. They got some questions in the secondary. Uh, Indiana exposed that and other teams have exposed that. Uh, but I always think back to 2014, and that team didn't look like a championship team until the end. It takes time for teams to gel. And when, you know, you haven't played uh, and you're not playing every week, it makes it harder. And who knows how many of these players that, are, that have COVID now are starters and key players and how many they're going to miss. I mean, we don't know who these players are. Um, we have a, you know, so what kind of team Ohio State will put on the field if, if they can play? We don't know. Bill, we know that when the Big Ten initially decided they were not going to play this fall, Ohio State was one of the schools that was very active and vocal about it being a bad decision. They wanted to play because they felt like they had a team that could compete for the title. As now the season for Ohio State is you know, sort of falling apart a little bit in, in the sense that they haven't been able to play some of these games and it's getting, it's getting really tenuous here for them. Is there – do you sense any institutional anger at the Big Ten about the way that they've handled this whole thing from beginning to end? Well, they're saying the right things publicly. Uh, Gene Smith yesterday praised Kevin Warren, and, you know, they, they, they've got – you know, they did that. I know that Ohio State wanted to start October 17th, that weekend, which would have given them a week of cushion. You know, you had a safety net there that, that you maybe could have made up a game. They don't have that. And so I know that there is residual frustration about that. You know, look, Ohio State has always tried to be a good, you know, team player when it comes to the Big Ten. They haven't tried to do what Texas did with the Big 12 and, and bully everybody else. I mean, I'm sure that there's resentment inside the conference because they're the standard bearer right now. There's nobody close to them in terms of football right now. Uh, I, I don't think the gap has ever been bigger between the dominant team in the league, in my lifetime at least, uh, and what it is now. I mean, what's this – I had this kind of running debate with people. What's who's the second best team in the big 10, you know, or at least the second best team Ohio state's going to play. Right. How about that? I, I mean, I, I, I posed, it was Illinois, maybe Illinois. Mm. And so, you know, <laughs> I, I think Ohio state's horizons are beyond the big 10. Obviously that's the number one goal for them is to, that's the starting goal win the big 10, uh, which they've done three years in a row, but their ambitions are much higher. Their season now is it's not really a, a successful season unless they get to the playoff and maybe more than that. I mean, last year's disappointment against Clemson is it still stings them. I mean, it haunts them because that's the game they think they should have won and they could have, they would have loved to go on toe to toe with Joe Burrow and LSU and take their chances. And they, and they didn't. And so this has been a driven team from the start. They wanted to play desperately uh, you know, I know Ryan Day this summer was just, you know, chomping at the bit to get back into it. And, and you remember the Big Ten not only canceled, 
they, however many days later, said we are not revisiting. Right. This place. You know, I mean, it has not been an auspicious debut for Kevin Warren. I'll put it that way. Well, the Bill, the thing I, I think is fascinating that we're not. Can I get one more question? What sure. thing is interesting that I don't for a multitude of factors we're not discussing, one of them being the expectations that you mentioned are always put on Ohio State, is that the work Ryan Day has done replacing Urban Meyer has been not just flawless, but you could legitimately make a case that he's taken the program, if almost just infinitesimally, to a different level in terms of recruiting, success, offense. Um, just you spend a lot of time around him going back to when he was assistant. What are your thoughts on Ryan day and, and how he's segued almost seamlessly into this really high profile, high pressure. Yeah, job? He's, he's been, I mean, I don't want to say nearly flawless. I think he has been flawless. Uh, I mean, he's lost one game and he's 20 and one. I think, I think that's his record. Um, you know, urban Meyer is a hall of fame coach. He's one of the 10 greatest coaches in college football history. It's just, he just is. Um, but Urban Meyer grinds people. And I think after seven years of Urban Meyer, the program, people inside the program were ready for a change. There's an immense amount of respect for Urban Meyer. But Brian Day is more of a kind of a, I don't say normal kind of guy. I mean, all these coaches are a little are wired, wired <laughs> differently. But he's, he's less not normal than Urban Meyer. I might say abnormal. He's less, you know, I mean, he's like just – you can have a, a conversation with, and I can with Urban too. Urban, you know, Urban has treated me fine. I have no no issues at all with Urban Meyer. He's been accessible to me, and he's he's, you know, uh, the Urban Meyer I heard about at Florida was not the Urban Meyer that I experienced at Ohio State, and so you know, which is to his credit. And so I I have, you know, I'm fine with Urban. Uh, you know, Ryan Day is just kind of. You know, he's the same. The way that he's the same as Urban, he's hyper competitive. He's the same way as Urban when it comes to competition. He hates to lose. He has a hard time like letting his kids win games against him. And has this poor son RJ, who I think is like I think he's maybe twelve. I'm not sure that RJ's ever going to beat Ryan in anything because Ryan won't let him. So, but he's you know he's a much more. Uh, uh, gregarious guy, maybe that's maybe the better way of putting it, or just outgoing. I mean, Urban can be outgoing, which kind of sense that he kind of puts on the "I better be outgoing," you know, guy. I think he's much more introspective uh, naturally than than Ryan Day is. And uh, Gene Smith, when he hired hired uh, Day, talked about his emotional intelligence and how he can relate to people really well. And I, I hear that when I talk to recruits and uh, and I talk to people, you know, recruiting analysts. And they just rave about the way he makes connections with people. And, and that's, that's hard to do. And, and, and the other thing is, as Nexus and those guys, he's really good. And co- players, especially quarterbacks, want to play for him. I mean, who wouldn't want to play for Ryan Day? And that's why you get Quinn Ewers and, and all these. I mean, they got this stockpile of quarterbacks coming, you know, after Justin Fields leaves. And so, um, yeah, he's got it rolling. There's no doubt about it. All right, Bill. Hey, we'll get you out on that. Thanks so much for joining us on the Inside the Amway Coach Bowl podcast, and hopefully we'll see you down the road soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. All right, thanks. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. And now we welcome into the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast, longtime columnist from the Austin American Statesman, Kirk Bowles. You've seen a lot of Texas football over the years, the good, the bad, the ugly, what is the temperature right now in Austin, given what happened over the weekend against Iowa State and just, frankly, the last few years with Tom Herman? Well, I would say boiling is, what, 212? So maybe 213, maybe? <laughs> right in that neighborhood, I would say. So the other feeling is on the part of the fan base, guys, is probably relief because in their minds, they think Tom Herman is done. So, so- – yeah, I think in many respects, they think it's over. Now, Chris Del Conte and the new president, Jay Hartzell, have not said anything on that, not surprisingly. Texas has never fired a coach before a season has ended, not even Charlie Strong after three losing seasons. So, obviously, it's going to play out. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, there's a mixture of uh, anger and rage and a little bit of relief on the part of Longhorn Nation. Kirk, one thing that you've never seen is UT lose to Iowa State two years in a row because it just happened for the first time yesterday. 
um, after the game, one Iowa State player, I, I think it was Brees Hall, said five-star culture versus five-star players and culture wins. What are your thoughts on that? And, and what do you think Texas thinks about that, certainly on the roster when they hear that comparison? You know, I think it was very apt, uh, very well put. You know, Texas is famous for recruiting well. You know, Tom Herman said three top ten classes in the nation. Uh, but at the same time, now he's starting to lose recruits, as you all both know. So uh, I think it does speak to the culture. And I think if you ask coaches around the country, guys, I think other coaches are baffled by that. How could Texas not succeed? How do you lose to Iowa State uh, two years in a row? Iowa State's got nine four-star players on their whole roster, and only three of them start. Yet they're coming in here and beating Texas at Royal Memorial Stadium. So I think it does speak to the culture, guys. And the fact is, you know, even when Mac was here and Mac was the second best coach after Del Royal, is that there was that feeling of, oh, they're soft or they're coddled. There's a sense of entitlement. And I think a lot of that's true because I think maybe as much as anything, guys, other than missing out on recruits at quarterback and that end up costing Mac Brown his job, it's that sense of entitlement that they come to Texas and they feel like they've made it that they don't have that chip on your shoulder, kind of like players at Iowa State do. You know, when Tom got the job there, I think most people believe that it was a slam dunk in terms of the fit. He understood the program. He had been there before. The success he had at Houston, uh, he's kind of that new school uh, coach, and it's a lot of fire and recruiting and know how to use social media, all that stuff. Why do you think it has not lived up to expectations? Do you think it's it's something with Tom and his personality, or is it just being unable to navigate the complicated politics at Texas, or is it something else that I'm not seeing? You know, I think the politics angle is overrated. Yeah, there's drama. Texas does drama as well as anybody. And, you know, when you're the school with the biggest uh, uh, revenue, and as Red McCombs, their famous alumnus, once said, I got more money than the Vatican, you know, when you have all those advantages. I don't know if there's a connection. I mean, the feeling, guys, is that they've wasted the career of Sam Mellinger, a four-year starter, uh, who's a top 10 quarterback, at least in numbers. So I think it goes back to the entitlement that I don't, they don't drive them as hard, but I, I don't think Tom Herman's anywhere close to being beloved in the locker room, despite all the kissing of the players. And he stood by the players during the, the wave of the social movement during the entire summer, he was out front and center. So he had their backs uh, on that. Why it hadn't worked I, I'm like you fellas. It looked like a no brainer. I mean, what would he go 22 and four at Houston and he beats Florida state back when they were Florida state, he beats Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield. I was at that game and it, it, it seemed like a, a natural, it seemed like a guarantee. And then it gets to be, okay, if not now, when, when you got Sam Ellinger as your starter and Oklahoma was a little down start, even though I think they're playing like a final four team right now. It's it's kind of a mystery. It's kind of a mystery why, you know, they get all these great playmakers and it's just they can't get over the hump. And while it may not be a Michigan or something like that, it's kind of been an ongoing problem, guys, when you've only won one national championship since 1970. That's been a long time. And maybe they're not at a Michigan level or, or even USC right now, but uh, – it's very mysterious, and uh, they just can't get that right guy. They had it with Mac Brown, and I think Mac got complacent. I think he recruited yeah. off recruiting lists, and they just—they were a colossal failure at quarterback. We all know the Johnny Manziel's RG threes went elsewhere. JT Barrett. So you got to have a quarterback, and they had that this year. So why it didn't work is a is a million dollar question. You know, you mentioned Mac. We all know Mac. We're familiar with his history at UT and elsewhere. Has there been a reevaluation, reassessment by the fan base, a reappreciation maybe in the last few years of what he meant to the school and what he achieved at the school? Yeah, a little bit, you know, and it's, it's, it's very similar to the basketball program. 
you know, with Rick Barnes had great success and it kind of leveled off toward the end, just like Mac Brown. And then they hired Shaka Smart, another broke no brainer, right? Well, he's just now starting year six and he's only been to the NCAA tournament twice. He's got zero NCAA tournament wins and he's had lottery picks, you know, three years in a row. So why didn't it work? I just, you know, it's almost like the, the program is cursed, but I don't, th- I don't really hear a loud clamor. Let's get Mac back. Although he's done a great job at North Carolina and all, you know, and gave uh, Notre Dame some fits uh, this week. So, but I don't know is why it hadn't worked. Is that, you know, you, you might ask a hundred people and get a hundred different reasons. You really might. All right. So Kirk, Chris Del Conte, the athletic director of Texas, is is relatively new. He did not hire Tom Herman. He is responsible for the extension that Herman got after the Sugar Bowl win. But, and again, this is my opinion based on reporting I've done. I think if you were to inject Chris Del Conte with truth serum, I don't think he's ever been in love with the idea of Tom Herman as, as his football coach. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think that's fair, Dan. I, I really think that's fair. Like so, you said. Um, yeah. So, so what happens and, and what, from what you know about Del Conte and how he's moving and shaking in Austin, what do you think he's doing right now? And what do you think the factors are for him in making this decision? Because it would be a very, very expensive decision. There are a lot of factors, guys. I mean, one is the price tag. You can just start with that. I mean, you owe Tom, you know, close to $16 million. Then you add in the staff and and you get close to another $10 million. Then, you know, you look at, you know, 10 coaches in college football make more than $6 million a year right now. You can't just money whip coaches like maybe Texas used to, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. So, you know, there are all kind of factors, you know, at work here. I think, I think the bottom line is you ask yourself, is he the right guy? Does the fan base believe in him? And I think the fan base has already checked out. And once you do that, it is almost next to impossible to get him back. And, you know, having four years here, not one big 12 championship, uh, one big 12 championship game appearance and meanwhile, you see up the road, three or four hours, Oklahoma has been to the CFP three years in a row and banging on the door on a fourth with a new coach. You look, you know, 100 miles uh, to the east, and Jimbo Fisher's got them in the top five, and, and where's Texas? And, and they're losing ground. You, we all know about the recruiting decommitments, and, and that's the other corollary to this whole thing. It's just going in the wrong direction. And so that's why I think it's probably imperative that they give this such a hard look that, you know, as far as making a change. And then you add in the fact of how shallow the coaching pool is. You know, if uh, they really think they can get Urban Meyer, I say go for it. I don't – you know, there's not a plan B that you look at that you can go, oh, well, that makes sense too. I I think there's the shallowest pool of coaching candidates maybe in the history – the college football, when you're looking at a Texas or a Michigan where you're looking for proven. So all those factors have to be considered guys. All right, Kirk. Well, Hey man, anything else? No, I appreciate uh, your time. I think that's a great point though, about the, the shallow coaching pool. Everyone's in love with Matt Campbell. I think he's a terrific coach, but does what he does. The program he runs at Iowa state translate to a Texas, you know, and I think that's a legitimate question. And I think it could just because he's such a stand-up guy. He's just a classy guy. He's quality. He sought out Cameron Dicker, the Texas kicker, and kind of consoled him after that. And Iowa State just loves him. Now, he's an Ohioan, you know, and, you know, the word is he'd probably prefer to stay in the Midwest. Uh, He might be a better fit at a Michigan than he would be at Texas. And, and like, you know, after you, after you go uh, to somebody like that, then where do you go? Do you try to prowl, pry Kyle Shanahan, former Longhorn receiver out of the NFL? I mean, how often does that happen? Yeah. You know, does somebody – Matt Rule would be the perfect guy here. Everybody loves Matt Rule. He's not leaving the NFL, you know, after getting there. So, it's just – it's like I said, there's not a great plan B. But then the option is, okay, you keep Tom – and then the fan base checks out, and like how many season tickets you're going to sell. And next year they open with Louisiana. 
who's yeah. having a pretty damn good year this year, playing for the Sun Belt title. And then you go to Arkansas game two. You know, Sam Pittman may be the coach of the year because they've kind of turned it around in one year. Now, they're not great shakes, but it's not the Arkansas we saw under Chad Morris. So just so many factors at work. It's just It's just a Shakespearean drama that's playing out here in Austin. Well, Kirk, hey, man, thanks for uh, taking the time to join us uh, this week. And I guess we'll uh, we'll see you down the road. Look forward to visiting with you in person when we can and uh, hope everything shakes out uh, for those uh, Texas fans who uh, have been long suffering down there. They're looking for something special under the Christmas tree, guys. So, <laughs> All right. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks, Kirk. Okay. Bye-bye. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. All right, thanks to Bill Rabinowitz of the Columbus Dispatch and Kirk Bowles of the Austin American Statesman for weighing in this week and giving us the perspective of two programs that are going in very different directions right now. But it is time to turn our attention to games next weekend. And obviously, we have to give a disclaimer every week now about which games are going to be played, which games are not going to be played it's just hard to know day to day. Everyone's holding their breath. We are going to operate under the assumption that every game currently on the schedule will be played. But if you're listening to this after a cancellation, sorry, not much we can do about it at that point, but uh, it is not the most inspiring or exciting weekend of games. I think, you know, maybe Indiana at Wisconsin is, is the best matchup uh, per se. I, I think, a&M at Auburn is the game that's that's got the most direct playoff implications because theoretically, I think you'd have to give Auburn some chance at home to win that game, but I don't know what kind of state they're going to be in. Is this where A&M stubs their toe a little bit? I don't know. Yeah, this seems like a possibility of, of a – I wouldn't even call it a trap game because I don't think Auburn is like considered a mammoth underdog by any stretch. Um, if their offense doesn't pick up, the Auburn can pull off this upset easily. So that's a worry for A&M. And I, I think that would be, that would be bad for the SEC. I mean, you need to have multiple teams in the mix. You don't expect Florida at two losses to be a contender for the top four if they lose to Alabama in the SEC championship. So A&M needs to hold serve and win out to have those two teams in contention. Um, I'd be a little bit concerned. You know, I think after seeing the way A&M's offense, A&M's offense looked, um, a repeat of that is is key to an Auburn win. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if Kalamon struggles that Auburn does to pull off the win. Well, and the funny thing about with the SEC, and they've had to do all kinds of stuff to the schedule to make Alabama LSU happen, and it's going to happen this weekend. I got to say, I don't know if it was worth the trouble because, frankly, from what I saw uh, from LSU this past weekend, what what is the point of that game? being played. I mean, other than just saying, (laughs) other than just saying uh, you've got to play Alabama LSU, this thing is, this is not going to be close. It's not going to be entertaining at all. No, it's an eight o'clock kick Eastern Saturday night. Um, It'll be over by eight 40 would be my guess. (laughs) So these kind of in the bag by eight 40. It's just a question of how many points Alabama can score. I mean, this is the question we ask of Alabama every week when they played Auburn, it wasn't, Hey, can Auburn win? It's how much is Alabama going to win by? Um, I don't know what else she's going to figure out in the next couple of days to, to make that competition or make that a competition, but Alabama by 20, 21 would be my guess. Oh, I, I think I'd go higher. Would not be surprised. Would not be surprised. The biggest question is, will Mac Jones play in the fourth quarter? He might, but, and will Nick Saban be on the sidelines? I guess that's the biggest drama that we'll find out this week. Yeah. I, I will predict Mac Jones plays one series of the fourth quarter and that's it. Um, certainly hope coach Saban is able to recover from his bout with COVID and, and be ready to go after going through all the protocols. Uh, Clemson's at Virginia tech, Virginia tech's just been frankly quite disappointing. And I, I don't see any, any problem there for Clemson. I don't see any problem for Florida going to Tennessee. Uh, historically it's an important game. It, it doesn't really feel like it. Tennessee's spiraling, uh, Northwestern goes to Minnesota. You know, we'll, we'll find out if, if the Northwestern uh, loss to Michigan State was a one-week blip or, or a trend. Oklahoma's got Baylor. I mean, what, what excites you about this weekend? 
Well, the next one, right? West Virginia at Iowa State. Um, West Virginia has really played well. And I think their bad start kind of soured people on them, or at least led people to look away from the Mountaineers. But they made a lot of growth under Neil Brown in year two. I mean, they can run the football. Their defense has been fantastic um, relative to the Big 12. So that's not a, an upset special at all. But I think West Virginia is um, is a team that could hang with Iowa State easily and make that competitive. So I'm excited about that game. If you're looking for a top 15 matchup with a little bit more intrigue. Yeah, I, I think um... – Going back to his time at Troy, I, I've I've been very impressed with Neil Brown and the way he's been able to organize a program. Like when you saw his team at Troy go to Nebraska and win, you saw them go to Baton Rouge and win. Uh, it, it indicated to me that that he's got a talent for getting guys to play at a higher physical level than you typically see in the Sun Belt. This wasn't your and no disrespect to, you know, to the Arkansas states uh, of the world, but the, the formula at an Arkansas state was always just go try to outscore people, you know, and they weren't going to physically overwhelm you or really even match up to you. They were going to try to gimmick you if they were playing a more talented team. I thought Neil Brown at Troy had a team that lined up and, and looked you in the eye and, and played those teams toe-to-toe they physically manhandled LSU in that that game and, and maybe it was an anomaly LSU was was in a bad place uh, early on in the Ed Orgeron era but still like that is something that only good coaches are able to do and I think you're seeing it at West Virginia as well early on I, I think if you're one of these programs like in Auburn if they do fire Gus Miles on I think you got to strongly consider a Neil Brown yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I think you look at um, you look at 90% of the programs in the country um, when you don't when you recruit like between classes 15 and 50, which is the predominant number of, of Power Five teams. Um, effort, execution, and consistency is is what separates good from very good, or bad from mediocre. And Neil Brown's teams, even last year's team, which really couldn't do anything right effort, execution, organization. Um, so yeah, we're both fans of Neil Brown. Um, and I, and I think if he was given a shot, not saying he's a transformative, you know, turn Auburn into the new Alabama or turn Auburn back into a national championship team. But, um, Kirk Bowles told us it's a thin pool of candidates. If that's the case, I think Neil Brown, because he's seemingly gettable for a, a, a top tier power five job would, would be very high on a lot of people's lists. The other game that uh, I think will probably get a lot of uh, hardcore college football fans excited is Liberty in Coastal Carolina. Liberty with the one loss, Coastal Carolina 9-0, and have a chance to finish off a, a very special unbeaten regular season. Uh, they would still have to win the Sun Belt title, but uh, I, I don't think that Coastal Carolina's – got any shot of, of getting high enough to get the group of five bit. And it's a shame that, you know, you, you end up winning the Sun Belt and, and you, you end up playing in the Montgomery bowl. You know, I think they deserve better than that. Uh, no disrespect to the fine people who run the Montgomery bowl, whatever it's called. But uh, you know, I, I think that uh, they deserve better than that. And, and I hope that maybe there's some flexibility in some of these bowls to give them a little bit better showcase. I don't know if that's possible, but if Coastal Carolina wins this, and again, they only joined FBS a handful of years ago, uh, and it's, it's, it's not easy to, to make that leap from FCS to FBS, but it's pretty awesome what they've been able to do. Yeah, so let me make an argument for why they might have a shot, right? And obviously having a shot, for getting that group of five demands that Cincinnati falls flat. And it means that they've like got to beat Tulsa, but then lose to Tulsa in the championship game, which is a possibility. But look, if at year's end, Coastal runs the table, they're going to have a win against App State, which I think the committee is going to value because App State is a legitimate program that was right there a year ago. They'll have two wins against Louisiana, which will knock Louisiana out of the top 25 in the playoff rankings, but again, will be considered really highly by that group. Um, they'll have a win against Liberty, which spent time in the top 25 this year. It's going to be tight. And I, and I don't like, this is not a really probable or, or truly conceivable roadmap, but I don't think it's like they're eliminated. Like there's no way for them to get in. I think they do have a shot. 
All right. Well, uh, that's probably about the most exciting matchup we've got of, of two really good teams uh, playing this weekend. So kind of a bit of a bummer, but we're, we're to the point of the season where we're just trying to get games in because uh, frankly, a lot of them, too many of them are vulnerable to uh, teams and COVID. And as the year goes on, the rosters are just getting smaller and smaller and there's just less margin for error because of injuries and opt outs and, and whatever else. So it's, it's been a challenge, but the finish line is coming Thanks again to everybody who participated in the podcast this week. Bill Rabinowitz, uh, thanks to Kirk Bowles. Thanks to Paul Meyerberg for, for coming on. I'm Dan Walken for the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast presented by USA Today Sports. We'll be back next week. You've been listening to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Hi. I'm Dr. Jennifer Chuang, clinical researcher and nutrition investigator. Occasional stress is a very common occurrence within these unprecedented times. The world recently took a hard turn. Now your head is spinning. From occasionally forgetting things to trying to work while juggling family and finances. To top it off, you haven't even been able to go to the gym. It's okay though, take a deep breath. Make self-care a priority by eating healthy, get your body moving throughout the day, and ample sleep should help. Here are a few additional ways you can use to help your mind reset. A few minutes of quiet meditation, taking a break from your screens, or taking time out with a friend are all techniques you can use to help your mind reset. You could also try a supplement, the perfect combination of L-theanine and lemon balm in N by Neutralite. Less stress, more yes gummies. Soothes your mind and help reduce occasional stress. Using a stress supplement like N by Neutralite, less stress, more yes gummies, can be a great low impact way to help you get in the zone and reduce your occasional stress.